It's it's actually pretty good. It's very funny. Uh, uh, did, did you do you know how you say Star Wars? D- d- no, Star Trek. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> That's Star Galactica. I'm trying really because I, I saw really... James's face. I was like, I'm I'm, I'm stepping back. <laughs> <laughs> neck like twisted around. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm trying really hard to think of a way to say fuck you, Mark. Welcome to the Well Played DLC Podcast, Australia's juiciest gaming podcast. I am your host for this week, Adam Ryan, joined by Nathan Hennessy. Hello, welcome back. Jordan Garcia. Hello. Mark Isaacson. Where, where's, where's, where's Zach? Where, where's Zach? Uh, we killed him. Okay, He's good. dead now. He's good. Uh, and James Wood. You killed Dad? That's, that's not good. <laughs> I did. <laughs> The Milky Master is uh, behind the woodshed now. He's gone. <laughs> we'll revive him at a later date. Sometimes, you know, I wanted to be in bed prior to 12.30 tonight. I wanted to get the podcast recorded and done in a timely fashion. So I thought there was only one way to deal with it. But uh, anyway, how are we, lads? How is everyone? Uh, it's cold and wet. Cold and wet. Still yeah, getting that... over Milky Master. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think too much into it. That's uh, the general consensus, I think. It's it's all kinds of cold here. I had to defrost my car this morning, Oof. and it's undercover, so that was fun. <laughs> Why you uh, already Yeah, it's a, it's a good old time. What about the rest of you boys? James, how are you doing, mate? Still cold. Still wet. Um, you know, it's, it's just that, keeps... That's unrelated. Yeah, exactly. That's a good time, not a bad time. No, uh, look, it's, it's cold. <laughs> it's wet. Uh, I'm tired. That's life. Uh, how are you? Uh... I'm cold. I'm not too wet. Okay. Just the, I'm the right amount of wet. Yeah. You know? His car's yeah. wet though. I'm, I'm in that sweet spot. A little bit sweaty. Yeah. We'll get you That's there. true. Yeah. yeah. We'll get it's cold, yeah. cold enough to don the beanie. Normally uh, Adam treats us weekly to his luscious locks. He does sport no. a good head of hair. Had to, had to whack the beanie on. I've been wearing it all day. Usually I'm only a beanie <laughs> when outdoors kind of man. But mm. uh, this winter has, has brought it indoors because yeah, it is deathly, deathly cold in old Tassie. Uh, from one Tasmanian to another, Nathan, how are you today, mate? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I just want to comment on the topic of beanies. I'm with you. I normally wear it outdoors. I've bought, I started buying myself a Barraclava collection. So I go to work. Yeah, 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 I go to work and I, it's, there's, there's still a bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe a bit of tension around putting up the, the full Barraclava. So maybe I'll just put up the front part, you know, just to cover the nose because I'm, <laughs> Like I work early mornings out in the cold, sort of doing manual labour, and I get the real drippy nose, and I'm not coming off heroin yeah. or nothing. It just drips like a faucet. Nathan, so I like to put the barraclava up, keep it, keep it snug. Yeah. There, there are other yeah. ways to tell us that you're excited for PD three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robert. Bar- Everyone got. Oh yeah, okay. Bar- it's just a barraclava reference. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, st- still, still yet to like go full barraclava, but I like. I like to go jogging in the morning as well, and I haven't quite crossed that bridge of just going full mask up as I'm jogging down the street because it's I'm in a historically <laughs> rough area, so it's kind well, of a bit transgressive. I, I recommend yet. when you do get to that stage, don't jog with a machete. It'll just look worse. <laughs> Leave the machete at home. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah. You might shave. I, I want to believe like it started off as beanie length, and then it went over the eyes, and then it covered the nose, like it's slowly making its way down your face. 
Well, yeah, I still leave a spot for the eyes, but otherwise, yeah, you're absolutely on it. Yeah, it's when it gets to the shoulders, that's when you have to worry. It's, it's the Aussie that, version yeah. of Venom. It is, it is quite life-changing in a sense, just having that sort of warmth, consistent warmth from the neck up is, is a delight that I've, yeah, restrained myself from for many years and would recommend. I can imagine, yeah, in those those early mornings, it'd be all but necessary. But um, what about uh, what about you, Mister Garcia? How are you uh, this fine evening? Ah, uh, uh, not too bad. Uh, James is going to feel bad for this, but I uh, learned my dad was in a car crash this morning, so <laughs> <laughs> he's he's all good. He's all good. And that's the episode, guys. Uh, all right, well done. <laughs> Great. That's my time on Just talk about burying the <laughs> lead, Jordan. Oh, God. my God. Well, I mean, look, there's nothing I oh, can yeah, do about okay, it. Oh, yeah, weight's been okay, you know. This, Dad was in a car. There's, you know, there's you nothing know. I can do about it. He's okay. So there's no point getting overly stressed about it. So. Good Lord. You know? Well, I'm glad to hear he's okay. That's yeah. good. That is the good news out yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I guess what i got to ask is, do you hate me, Adam? <laughs> yeah, Why? Because yeah. you said last week that you'd play Rocket League with me and you still haven't <laughs> And it, your words were, yeah, no, he's not around this week, so it should be free. And I was like, all right, cool. And nothing. This is the the issue with promising things to the person that listens to the recordings. <laughs> okay. Because okay. even if it's I'm, I'm before s- or after the podcast. He's all receipts. I ain't going to stop you right now. <laughs> I don't listen to the podcast when I record it. It goes through one yeah, ear and out the other. <laughs> good. Ooh. Probably, probably for the best in some cases. Look, lads, enough of uh, enough of the preamble. We've got an absolute monster of a show to get through. Quick fire. I want to hear what games you've been playing this week, though. So we're just going to roll them off. James, let the people know what you've been playing, mate. Uh, I've been checking out Visage. Visage. I'm not entirely sure how I'm supposed yeah. to be pronouncing oh, is that. Like, that. Yeah, it's like PT. Yeah, the the PT thing. Um, I played <laughs> through the first like PT here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Everyone here you does. You know what, Adam? You should recommend that to Zach. <laughs> I will, mate. I'll let him know. Lana hates it. Uh, and how are you enjoying it? It it's okay. Uh, I, I did the first couple of hours on stream uh, because I'm incapable of playing horror games like of that intensity without streaming it because I need a sort of audience feedback to keep myself from getting too like invested. Um, but even still, I was jumping out of my chair and swearing a lot. So, um, you know, fun, really? a little edgy, um, but in like a way that I can sort of see where they're going with it. That's you know kind of interesting um but yeah that's pretty much about all i've been checking out other than you know what i've been playing for review which is uh south of the circle which should be up sometime soon Ooh, Mm. a little bit of a taste yes circle back to that Mm. nathan what do you got for us mate yeah i've been pretty strapped on the content so i've just managed to i've had two games sitting by my bedside table it's been xenoblade chronicles 3 i've yet to start it because i don't feel comfortable that I have a hundred hours to just sink into that without getting distracted, but I have started Digimon Survive. Nice. And Ooh. that is a very unusual game. I'm only up to the second chapter, so a prologue first and second chapter. It's a visual novel mostly yeah. with uh like a horror theme, which I didn't expect at oh. all. It's oh. a bit dark. Like it's, it is it a bit dark. really yeah. I guess yeah, that it's also really kind of makes sense with its subtitle of Survive. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to read into the Survive in a literal sense as yet. Uh, maybe there is a, a literal meaning to that. Maybe the characters do start getting nicked off uh, later in the VN. But it's been a VN year for me, and this one's definitely one of the, the highlights thematically. And, it uh, yeah, it's even got some cool turn-paced combat in there. Yeah, nice. I, uh, I know that you were pretty keen to give it a, a check-out, so I'm glad it's living up to expectations. Mm, Mark, absolutely. 
what's the week looked like for you uh, in uh, in the game? I, I will second Digimon Survivor, though I've only finished the first chapter so far. So, but yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. I really like the uh, the character designs, though. I think they've been like the artwork, and I think it's really good. Um, oh, the artwork's great. Yeah. I've also played a little of a game you might have called, uh, or might have heard called Marvel Snap. Um, <laughs> oh. Free to play, shit ton of microtransactions, with which thankfully you can completely utterly fucking ignore. Uh, the actual card game mechanics of it though are fantastic. It's like two minutes per game. It's really quick and easy, really easy to get a hang of. The the combat of it all is is really actually well thought out. Um, actually worth playing. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm a bit addicted to it at the moment. It's I'm I'm not usually a mobile game person, but I've uh, yeah, it's got its teeth yeah. in me. It's a, it's pretty good. I'm hearing that, so I've been holding off, holding yeah, off. You'll get there. It'll get to you eventually, Jordan. <laughs> let so. us know what's the week been. Uh, what's what it's been treating. Uh, we'll what's start it with our Rocket League. Thank you, Adam. Uh, no worries, mate. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, naturally, the the weekly course of uh, GTFO. So I'm I can now say I'm. Five out of ten missions through this current rundown, which is way more nice. than I ever thought I would get. I might even finish the entire rundown before the next set, which would be cool. Unheard of. Um, I've been playing uh, a game for review, which we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, I dabbled a little bit into the new Sea of Thieves update because the Captaincy update finally came out. Uh, and I was impressed at how much it actually changed the game. Uh, and then... I also have been playing a little bit of Halo the Master Chief Collection because Halo Infinite makes me sad. Mm, same. Fair enough. That, that's that's a good call. That's a good call. That's a, a pretty well-rounded week for you, mate. You've got a yeah. bit of this, bit of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you Love know, I was a bit sad playing Rocket League by myself, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. <sighs> that's true. People are going to disappoint you. you just got to yep. move on with your life. I feel that. Look, uh, I've been playing fuck all only review games. So speaking of review games, segue, segue, there's quite a few for us to get through. There is. Uh, Nathan, why don't you kick us off with your first game, your first game out of multiple. Yes. What have you, what have you been up to and how did you like it? All right. So first up tonight or first up today, we've got Two Point Campus. Now, spoiler alert, this one came in with a pretty high ranking from myself, which was probably no surprise when I previewed this all the way back in May, which, again, I couldn't really see much of a difference between the build I played then and the build I played now. On PC, this was very, very stable, minus a couple of little odd quirks I mentioned in the review, but nothing that should detract. This was a solid, very approachable management sim. Something I've mentioned in both my articles review and preview is a genre that I'm typically quite intimidated by. I get quite stressed out when games start having me manage things like debt and uh, quality of life and statistics. I'm not a numbers person by any stretch. Maybe that's why us folks like indulging in our words. So this game, it's it presents you with the option of, yes, you can manage debts, you can take out loans, and, and you're effectively building up a series of 12 different campuses to different levels of prestige, filling things like student satisfaction, staff satisfaction, uh, participating in all different kinds of events with neighbouring university campuses of the same theme. So some of the university campuses are themed, there's some that are sort of like Harvard-esque, where they're relying on a kind of Ivy League Prestige, there are others, the popular one uh, whose name eludes me at the moment, but it's effectively an off-brand Hogwarts. So you've got 
all of these uh, wizards being trained up, which is a wizard, but um, really interesting mechanic for this one is you, do, you start off with no money because basically Voldemort has visited and bankrupted you with magic. So all you can do is take out loans in order to get ahead. So you're managing debt straight off the bat. So there's lots of these really cool wrinkles. And one thing that I uh, praised when I initially played the game and it has continued since is there is no, to my, to my memory, there's no strict tutorial, so to speak, but rather the game is laid out. So as you're progressing from campus to campus, the game is basically tutorializing you in the background, which... I applaud, I really get excited by games that do this, that are not holding your hand, but also not limiting you and what you can do, but they're presenting you challenges or goals, a little task to complete that are basically gradually ratcheting up both the challenge, but also exposing you to more mechanics. This game does that flawlessly. So in short, um, if you're like me and you're usually detracted by games that involve management, again, I also didn't play the predecessor to this, which was Two Point Hospital, or the spiritual predecessor, which was the, I believe, Theme Hospital, which I know uh, Zach enjoyed. So I haven't played those games. This, again, this is a genre that I don't touch. I made that very clear in the review. So it was really impressive to come out of this uh, with a lot of joy. Uh, the, the game is absolutely plastered over with a lot of humor that from some reviews I've read, some people bounced off it. I enjoyed it. I mentioned it ranges very broadly from sardonic to sarcastic. Not a typically, I don't find sarcasm that endearing, but it's all wrapped up in a very dry British wit. So I felt that that delivered quite, quite well. A uh, couple of criticisms. One I didn't mention in the review because I didn't have enough words to really flesh it out. It was kind of an aside, but there are different kind of joke tracks. So there are jokes that play over. There's a lot of voiceover in the game. There's voiceovers from assistants, deans, faculty. There's also just this, um, just this generic uh, female PA announcer. And she kind of plays the same joke tracks over and over across the different campuses. So very quickly, you're starting to get very tired of those. It's just comments on um, making sure all staff know that dogs don't chew homework, ha ha ha. And you'll hear that for the hundredth time, you get sick of that pretty quick. But that's not so bad because it's also interspersed with other joke tracks that are maybe more specific to that particular campus. So it's kept fresh enough in the long run. Uh, I mentioned a couple of little minor quirks, one of them, and this is something that I found that Kieran Verbrugge also had. He was, I believe he was playing on a PS5 build as opposed to me on PC. Sometimes when you're moving, so as you're placing buildings and you're setting up your campus, the game has a really smart sort of magnetic clicking mechanism. So things are sort of laid out in very neat little grids. Everything sort of clicks into place very satis satisfyingly, satisfactory. Hmm. Um, but as you, as you start to expand your campus, you can just sort of pick up rooms and place them in other parts of the campus, which is fantastic. The issue is sometimes an object or two might not get taken. And what would often happen is I would have like a window or a poster hovering in midair. No big deal, give it a click, drag it to where it needs to go, done, done, done. Not so easy if you're on console. I played half of this game with a gamepad, just because. And I found that as you're navigating through two or three menus deep, the game assigns a lot of the same contextual back and forth uh, actions to the same button. So you'll, you might get three menus deep to build a wall or change some wallpaper. And it says, nope, can't do that. There's an object in the way. So you go to press back so you can resolve the issue and you end up closing out of all the menus entirely. So now you've got to navigate back three menus deep. That gets quite annoying. 
So when you're trying to, when you've got a little object that needs moving quite simply because it's a collision, what should be a simple click and drag can often be a bit of a nightmare of navigating in and out of menus just so I can get the cursor to where it needs to be so I can pick up the damn thing. Not a big deal. So the pros, as I said, super witty. Uh, I think this is a management sim that's going to be approachable to a lot of players, not just because of the humor that's presented, but because it's a bit more friendly. It's not asking you to make really harsh decisions in terms of managing finances. There's usually a way, and when you have to compromise, it's not going to really cause you to grind your teeth. It's usually maybe going to lower some student satisfaction, but you'll just put a party on the student union. They're happy again, no big deal. <laughs> the graphical style, same as Two Point Hospital, very cartoonish and round, so it's quite endearing. And the soundtrack I found was quite earwormy, which, you know, sometimes that's not a good thing, but it's very whimsical, light soundtrack. Sometimes there's even a little sort of Scar-inspired tracks in there. So it's quite bouncy. I enjoyed it through and through. Uh, I'd easily recommend this at a 9 out of 10. And I found this to be a really hard game to put down. I've been nagging my partner as soon as this sort of releases and hit hits Game Pass, which obviously as you're listening to this, it will be. Uh, she'll be all over that as well, I suspect, because me and her, I think we're now on a bit of a, a simulator romp. So, yeah, this one, easy A, thumbs up, definitely recommend, and definitely one of the highlights to have hit Game Pass recently. Big 9 out of 10, that's huge. That's, Does that's, it, um, uh, that's better than Outriders. A little bit, a little bit. Only, uh, only 0.5, mate. Not only about half a point. Uh, yeah. Now, does it make you want to have a crack at other management sims? Has it got the, the juices flowing in that genre? It, it does. It has, absolutely. Because as I said, this is a genre that you'd have to really twist my arm to, to approach. When Zach approached me with this game, I was a little bit on the fence, but I thought I have to approach this with an open mind. Glad I did. So yeah, I'm actually kind of keen to maybe tackle something that also has kind of a light veneer to it. Maybe something like... Uh, Planet Coaster, perhaps Some, something maybe yeah. tycoony, because I know this fits more within the sort of tycoon game realm of management sim. So it's definitely opened it up. And the fact that I'm not having to pour through spreadsheets or any of that, it's got all that stuff in it, but it's way in the background for those that want it. I didn't want it, didn't have to consult it. So I was delighted. I, I really hope nice. I really right. hope it's successful enough that they get to do Two Point Country, which is like a Sim City ripoff. I, I'd be, yeah. I'd be all yeah. in on that if they did that. Keep, keep cranking Enough. up the scope. I mean, this is a way bigger scope than hospital from, from, from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'd absolutely be all behind that. Are uh, any of the rest of you boys looking to, to give this a tickle or is it not quite something to your, your taste? I did play think a, it would lot translate of, well? a lot of hospitals, so maybe? Oh, if I find time, time, if I find time. Yep. Yeah, that's, the, that's trick. the trick, yeah. And supposedly August isn't very stacked with games, but um, I yeah, think us folks on. would probably disagree yeah. with that based on our experience the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Sorry, James, go yes. on. No, you're right. I was just wondering, do you think it would translate well to a Switch screen? Uh, I was just looking at some screenshots oh, that yeah. you posted in your review, and I don't know how that's going to go on such a small screen. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? So, yeah, look, I found that I was constantly zooming in and out and would actually spend most of my... The game is very good in terms of communicating its visual information to you. So it will have little pop-up bo bo pop boxes that will appear that will make it quite easy to sort of see where the objects of concern or, or um, students of concern are on campus. But I would, obviously having not played this on Switch, I would be concerned both the fact that I had not insubstantial load times on my PC on its SSD. So that has me concerned for the Switch already because the Switch is, you, mm, if, you've, if yeah. you've already got bad load times on PC, you've got dreadful load times on Switch. That's not a rule, but I, you often see it happen. Um, 
obviously there's those gamepad woes just be aware of it it, it it is a significantly slower experience with the gamepad as opposed to just clicking things around with the mouse and the actual screen itself i i think if if you can get past those two hurdles the potential load screens and the gamepad i think the switch would be an absolute ripper to play this game on this is absolutely the kind of game that i would want to play on the go especially with it being so hard to put down so I don't know that the smaller real estate would be a big hurdle, particularly because the game is very generous with how it wrangles its camera, really lets you get in there and also make sure that when you're zoomed out, all the objects of interest are easily highlighted for you. Yeah, excellent. I can see, I can see it being solid on the Switch if the, the hardware can dig it. But if hey, the hardware nine can, out of yeah. 10. Yeah, very, very recommendable. If you want to read the the whole review and see all of Nathan's thoughts, you can do so over on the website. But yeah, definitely sounds like it's best on PC. If only we had someone who's recently reviewed a PC. Jordan, would you know anyone like that? Nope. Okay, cool. I review Moving a laptop on, so. though. Ah, uh, look, that's close enough. Trackpads <laughs> aren't my deal, but uh, why don't you tell us about that, mate? Yeah, so I've spent probably around four to five weeks with the Asus ROG Zephyrus Duo 16. Uh, arguably the most expensive thing that we've ever had the pleasure of reviewing. It's uh, just a, a cool six grand. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that is very cool. Wow, yeah. look at that kid. Where's yours? Uh, it's on the way. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, they, they said uh, one for everyone here that's on, on this episode of the podcast. So Zach oh, missed out nice. on quoting it. Quoting but, it. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, I spent uh, quite a while with it, uh, as I'm sure Adam and maybe Nathan know. I'm a bit of a, a PC tech uh, aficionado. I, I spent a, uh, a lot of time learning all these things, how to benchmark, using all the data and all that stuff. Uh, and I can say it's a, it's a good laptop, but boy, do I hate the way Asus shoves bloatware onto their computers. It is so frustrating. Uh, the, the biggest... Uh, one for for this the biggest offender is their armory crate software which you can admittedly you can use to control like the power consumption and the fan speed and stuff like that so you can kind of control your thermals which is nice uh and it's integrated properly into the secondary screen which is uh laptop comes with which i'll get to in a second uh but you know ultimately it's just extra software that doesn't necessarily need to be there uh, you, you can provide documentation for people to be like, hey, if you want this, you can do this. But the fact that it's there just makes the startup a little more annoying because it has to boot all these things up when you when you launch a computer. Um, which probably my biggest point of frustration. But after using, because I, I used it to edit the last, I think, two or three podcasts. Uh, and as someone that lives in the Adobe Creative Suite, having that second monitor on a laptop is a godsend. Being able to like, you know, if I'm in Premiere, I can just like tap what plugins I want to use or say I'm editing the podcast and I notice there's something going awry with some of the EQ. I can just, you know, put my finger on the bottom screen and drag where I want the EQ to settle and stuff like that. It's actually really good. And I feel like this, uh, it, it's a matter of uh, how the, the this technology first came into play because it first came into play in their ZenBook series, which was productivity focused computers not gaming uh and that's still definitely where this setup this setup strengths lie uh and that's not to say that it's not a strong laptop it's got a what an ryzen 9 6900 hx and a 3080 ti in it so it's packing some hardware uh it's just i found 
I got the most use out of that extra functionality from the, the second screen in productivity spaces rather than gaming spaces because most games you don't really need a second screen unless you're something like Destiny where you're dragging your, your spare weapons through dim or whatever. Um, I did put it through about 50 passes of the Forza Horizon 5 benchmark. Uh, so not an insignificant amount, you know, just to make sure that all the data is pretty even. Uh, and yeah, it performed pretty well. Uh, I was impressed uh, with a 16 by 10 aspect ratio at 1440p uh, and HDR. It ran pretty well. But that's where I came across its biggest issue, which is its thermals. So when I benchmark computers or anything, uh, I keep my room at a temperature controlled uh temperature of 21 degrees celsius that's pretty much the standard uh the cpu hit a whopping 90 what 91 or 92 degrees or whatever which if you raise the ambient temperature by nine degrees you're hitting 100 degrees and it's going to start throttling can you cook an egg on it probably to be honest <laughs> uh and so what ends up happening is that the uh the, the laptop becomes very loud and very hot and so you don't get as much performance as you'd want to which is a bit of a shame because the thing is pretty big and it uses liquid metal which is pretty insane so it would have been wait, nice wait 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 is that like the terminator from terminator 2 <laughs> no it's, uh, metal it's from metal gear solid 6 <laughs> okay cool i'll um i'll shut up again anyway. <laughs> but yeah so it uses liquid metal instead of your normal thermal uh interface material and that if it's still hitting those temperatures while having all that stuff you know that the temperatures are just running away from the engineers, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, and I very much found the issue, and it's the fact that they don't tune the CPU properly. So it consumes way more power than it ever needs. And so, you know, the more power you throw into a component, the hotter it gets. So what ends up happening is you're paying a lot for a computer that is not performing poorly, but it's still underperforming, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, if you were to find it for maybe like 20 to 30% cheaper, good luck. But if you were, it would be uh, not a bad grab, but I can't really recommend it, unfortunately. Yeah, you can build a couple of good rigs in this economy with six grand. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, with prices dropping at the minute. That's a that's a hard one to swallow. Mm. It's a bit yeah, of a shame. Yeah, that's rough. It's, you, don't, you don't want to see something like that and think that it's a... A gimmick. You want to believe that it can pull off what it's setting out to. But, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, well, what what blew me away that's not is uh, the case. that the thermals on that Razer laptop that I reviewed last year, uh, that that laptop is significantly smaller in terms of like its physical size, and it still mm. is much cooler with smaller fans, which just impresses me at this point. So yeah, quick question. So for this, and I'm just going to repeat this name for the benefit of the listener. The Asus Republic of Gaming Gamers Zephyrus Duo 16, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is, I say this because um, might might just be worth giving this one a quick Google just to check the images on the second screen. This is really unusual. So on this second screen that sort of hovers above the keyboard but below the main monitor, did you find any other interesting uses for this? Is there any kind of tech demos on the software, on the, on the bloatware rather, or... Or any kind of cool little usage you could find out of this? Because this is a very unusually orientated little screen. And I'd be curious yeah. to know what what kind of perks one might actually throw at this. Because I imagine this is really jacking up the price. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a bit hard to describe. So there are 
integrated use cases for like your tip- typical power and temperature control and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also have their own control center that is always docked into that bottom screen. So you can use it to control the brightness and stuff like that. And one really cool thing is, say you had a window on the main screen. If you start to drag the window, a little pop-up would show up. And if you put it into that pop-up, it'll snap it down to the bottom. Ooh. Which is actually a really nice functionality. It's just, yeah, that'd be satisfying. You know, it's just quick and responsive. Uh, I found the most use out of it through side activities, whether it be like media control or if I was writing on my apartment's balcony, it was easy for me to have reference material rather than have them side by side. I could have it below. Uh, as I mentioned before, in the creative suite, I could have my plugins and mixes and stuff like that in the bottom screen. Uh, in terms of like normal, you know, this is what Asus intends you to use it for. There's not too much, but I kind of prefer that. Otherwise, you end up with the Apple Touch Bar, which it's so integrated in using it for so many specific things that it becomes a hassle as a result rather than just a nice addition. Uh, and then the the thing I did forget to mention is that uh, it's on like this weird little hinge thing. So when you open the laptop, and I'm sure you'll see in the, the screenshots, it like lifts up from the top, which is really cool. Uh, and then they also house the, the speakers behind that. So uh, the, you know, it's it's still got a, a decent set of speakers, not nothing too great. It can feel sound a little muffled because there's literally a screen in the way. Uh, but it is definitely cool seeing the, the screen slide back in. It's going into a flat profile as you close it. Right. So maybe better to look at than to use. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's cool tech nonetheless. But yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe spend your six thousand dollars elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for a fraction of that price, you can get a a cool looking little indie game, an Australian made indie game that Mr. Isaacson has been playing right, recently. Right, right, right. Quick math. What's the fraction? Uh, we don't do numbers here. We've just went defi- over this. What's, definitely less what's 6, than 10%. 6,000 divided by 30? I think it's 30. <laughs> 0.05? No, like 0.005. Anyway, hey, regardless, cult of, cult of the Lamb. Cult of the Lamb, Mark. I'll, I'll, Tell us. I'll make it short and sweet. Hopefully the review will be up on the website by the time this podcast comes out. Uh I genuinely thought that my game of the year had already been locked in Ooh. Uh, with? with Tunic, uh, which is something I reviewed mm. on the website a couple of months back. Not Elden Ring. No offense to Elden Ring. Love the game. How dare Not you? Not my game of the year. I already, yeah, I honestly thought Tunic was going to be my game of the year. Uh, and then Call to the Lamb came along. Um, if you've played Hades, if you've also played Stardew Valley... Ooh, and then yes. combine those two together, you pretty much have Call to the Lamb down packed. So the whole concept of the game is uh, you're the last lamb in existence, you're about to be killed off, and you get revived by uh, essentially like the equivalent of the devil, I suppose you could say. Uh, and you're tasked with creating a cult in its image, going through and essentially upgrading everything in terms of your equipment, uh, the the cult itself by essentially doing that sort of roguelike randomized run through missions uh, but it's the actual extra element of it which is the Saudi Valley carbon element where you have your little cult your family essentially that you have to look after you have to pick up poop after them you have to feed them you have to provide sermons and sacrifices and all this sort of stuff 
It sounds like a lot, and there's a lot of mechanics to it all. But yeah, it's just one of the... It's probably one of the most inventive combinations of two different genres that I've seen. It's incredibly easy to play. Uh, it's probably the most enjoyable experience I've had all year. And yeah, absolutely. It's I think it's going to vie for Game of the Year. If it doesn't win awards, I'd be very surprised. I think it's that good. I genuinely think it's that good. Do you reckon it's good enough for Zach to rig the well-played Game of the Year awards for? Again. Uh, I will bribe the <laughs> shit out of him if I have to. <laughs> and or Tunic. You know, one of the two. We'll see. Well, you know what the, the well-played awards are like? Easy to, easy to rig. Yeah. Just Capcom have done it twice in a row. I think we already have uh, Elden Ring down packed for that, but I will uh, I will vote for Cult of the Lamb or Tunic. But at this point, I think Cult of the Lamb might actually have the edge. I think I just enjoy the the combination of the two different genres. Um, it's very, very smooth. Uh, you know yeah. what Cult of the Lamb has that Tunic doesn't have? A lamb? Feeding your friend's poop. Oh, feeding the friend's poop. Yeah. You can do that. I try to actively avoid that. I've... It's worth no, and it's true because Fair. when I first start, first loaded up, it's like you are you are building this cult for the for this evil character. Essentially, it's like an evil character, and you feel like you need to go in and you know you sacrifice the the, the villagers to make yourself more powerful, etc. But the more you go into it, and the more villages you get, the more you actually become like it's, it almost feels like a family, to, uh, like the way the the. The villagers will come up to you and go, oh, "I love you so much. You're great." And then you can marry them, and you can see them have that. relationships brewing, and then they grow old. And this is this weird sort of—you don't want to hurt them. You actually don't want to hurt them because they're—they're they're going through life because of you. You've been indoctrinated. I've been indoctrinated by a freaking <laughs> lamb. You're a part of the cult. <laughs> the game has got me. Oh god, no, um, no, it is. It's Do start it's, feeding him poop. Yeah, I know. I I try not to eat. I try not to eat a poop. It makes him sick. Um, but also, it's very funny. It's a great game. It's a generally great game. It, the fact that it's an Aussie studio as well makes it even more uh, worthwhile for me personally because that's what I I play a lot of. Um, so yeah, it's it's right up there as one of the games of the year for me. So this game would build towards a conclusion, I assume. Like, uh, what yeah. kind of like how how many hours? Are, it's not always an odd question to ask, but like in a ballpark, how long do you think players are probably going to sit in this before they perhaps roll credits? If you ran through as quickly as possible, probably twenty to thirty hours. Yeah, if you actually sat down and, and yeah, spent damn. time in the village and, and take time with it, it would be a lot, lot longer than that. And you can rerun through the roguelike element as many times as you want, and it expands further with each boss that you beat. Uh, and it's a balancing act of making sure when you're going out and, and expanding and fighting and so forth that you're also, uh, you know, you're being constantly notified of what's happening in the village. So you can actually teleport mm. back once you've got that upgrade to make sure they're okay. Because if you leave them for too long, shit goes to shit. Uh, but yeah, you could spend countless hours in this thing. I spent over 100 hours in, in Hades as well, and I feel like I could probably do it in this game too. Yeah, right. I I was quietly keen for this. Yeah. saw that it had that kind of community-building aspect and maybe fell out of love with it a little bit because that's not really my jam. Yeah. But I played the demo and fell right back in love with it, not to mention it, the art style is phenomenal. The game looks absolutely gorgeous. It looks and sounds um, amazing. Yeah, the art style in a weird way kind of reminds me of a, a like an extrapolated version of like Don't Starve. 
Oh, I was hoping someone was going to say it because I felt a bit silly otherwise. Yeah, yeah it does have yeah, that other element to it. Yeah, for sure. That sort of um, paper, like, uh, no, I can't say it. Move on. <laughs> um, if you were to, and if you have come to a decision, yeah. what uh, what score would you be tickling? Uh, I'm generally considering, and this is before the review is printed, a 10 out of 10. Whoa, uh, so way better like than I I might, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I I might lower it to nine point five. There are a few minor things that I think might drop it down a little bit. I don't feel like the combat is quite as sharp as it could be. It's still good, but I don't think it's quite as good. So, but I'm very very close to giving it a ten. So I guess once you've listened to this podcast and go and read the review, you'll see the result. Love that. Well, I'm uh, yeah. All of a sudden, very 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 keen to play it um but i don't have a good segue for this one something i have been playing Woo! there, there we go yeah, that's that what works. i've got uh i've recently played and reviewed multiverses the platform brawler from warner brothers i won't speak too long about this i've i've talked about it previously because it's been in in beta for a while um but yeah it's warner bros take on a, a platform brawler so something similar to smash bros or brawlhalla uh, when it was announced and first shown off, I was in the camp of people that thought this is a reskin smash, which it very well looked like at the time. It's you damage your opponent, the, the, the number above their head goes up, the higher it is, the more likely you are to knock them off the stage, gain a point first to, I think it's five wins the match. So it is very smash like in like the foundation but it actually, it separates itself pretty well past there. It is fairly different. Um, so you've got combat-wise, your jump, your dodge, your normal attack, and your special attack. And both sets of attacks have four different like variations depending on where you point the stick. Um, so it's very easy to pick up and learn, but very, very hard to master. I don't want to make comparisons throughout the, the whole time I talk about it, but I feel like Smash, you can grab any character and just kind of mash the shit out of the buttons and do okay. Um, that's exactly what I've done anytime I've played Smash. Um, this game very much wants you to like main a character and learn that character and learn how to use them. Um, but yeah, combat feels good individually, but the really cool thing about multiverses is it's very co-op focused. You can do 1v1 and you can do free-for-all, but it's like premiere mode is a 2v2 and the move lists really accentuate that as well because there are moves that mesh together really well whether directly or indirectly um so in a directly combat sense bugs bunny has this attack where he burrows into the ground and then comes up somewhere else on the stage and the teammate can throw projectiles into it to kind of hit the opponents if they're if they're over the hole so like batman can throw a batarang or um, Steven Universe can shoot like a beam through it and it comes up the, the other side. So there are lots of creative little ways that these characters kind of mesh together. Um, and in a cooperative sense, there's characters like uh, the one specifically made for this game called Rain Dog can tether to the, the other character and bring them back in if they're going to get shot off off the stage or can slightly heal them. And it creates this cool dynamic where you have to be aware of what your other player is doing as well as trying to damage your opponent. And it's a cool little mini chess game to be playing instead of just beat the shit out of your opponent and, and that's it. Cause I feel like in 
in other platform brawlers, you're all kind of doing your own thing. And that's, that's kind of where it ends. So that, that creates a really cool little wrinkle. Um, as far as the characters, which are kind of, you know, what are going to bring people to the game because they're big properties. You've got like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman from DC. Uh, you've got Arya Stark, weirdly enough, from Game of Thrones. You've got LeBron James, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and then you've got all the like the Warner Bros characters like Taz the Tasmanian uh, Devil, Bugs Bunny. Animaniacs should, should be in this game because the anim- Animaniacs yep. fucking rule. Yep. Um, but they they all look sound and most importantly feel absolutely spot on to, to what the characters are. So like Velma, and I know I'm really shooting myself in the foot by bringing up Velma. Um, the way she attacks is with speech bubbles and like aha moment light globes. And that those are her offensive moves. So everything feels very in line with how that character is and how they're portrayed. And they're all voice acted by who you would expect. So like Kevin Conroy voices Batman, which is fantastic. With the exception of LeBron James. (laughs) With the the exception of LeBron James. Although, nah, nah. Um, But yeah, Matthew Lillard voices Shaggy. Like it it all feels super authentic. Does Danny DeVito voice Roma? Yeah, naturally. Who else is going to voice her? Um... (laughs) But yeah, it's all like it all does very much feel like a love letter to each of the the IPs, which is important because I think when you do these big mashups, it could be easy for them just to kind of get lost in the shuffle and just be kind of cardboard cutouts of the characters. But they they do all feel very very authentic. Um, but this is a free to play game, so there are monetization issues, I suppose, if you want to call them that. You can pay for the game if you're crazy. Um, they're called founders packs. They go up to $150, which is fucked. Um, the game feels really premium, but 150 bucks is outrageous. And you've Um, said it before, but that 150 bucks doesn't unlock all the characters out of the box. No. What? Which is, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. Um, but you can unlock characters through playing the game. You earn gold, which is like the, the non premium currency. It gives you quite a bit to start with. So you could buy probably one character only within maybe about an hour of play. Past that, you're, you're spending hours and hours and hours trying to unlock a character. Um, but it does let you play all of the characters in kind of like the offline mode, like the training mode. So you can like try before you buy. So it's not just, I don't know, Harley Quinn sounds cool. I'll pay $30 for her. You can make informed decisions, which... I do appreciate that. Um, there are other, uh, there's like a premium currency. You can buy skins. They're ludicrously expensive. The animated Batman skin that I really wanted was $30 and fucked if I'm paying $30 for a Batman skin. So you could have afforded um, that if you let me buy your Fortnite skins for you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> My Fortnite daddy. Um, Tell us about the stages. The stages yeah. are fucking boring, Nathan. They they're certainly really are. That's, that's, the, that's <laughs> yeah. the impression it's I got as well. Yeah. You know what? I think they, if there was going to be anything like that in a game like this the stages would be the best part for it to be boring because it's easy to build a better stage later than to fix boring characters oh 100 percent agree like the the characters are the the bread and butter but the, these stages are fucking boring man they are a flat plane with maybe if you really want to get crazy another flat plane above it Whoa, <laughs> like it... they're they're real standard and like visually some of them are kind of interesting like the bat cave and the the scooby-doo mansion are 
semi-interesting, but they, there's not really that much going on in the stages themselves either. Where the Smash stages, there's like shit happening. Yeah. Like F-Zero, you're fucking blasting down big blue mountain. I don't know. If, I don't know what the fucking F-Zero <laughs> stages are. But like, you're just shooting through the Green Hill Zone, yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> they're... they're <laughs> They're exciting and they're dynamic, but these are real fucking boring. I spoke to someone who plays Smash religiously um, and they called me out on it and they were like, I play competitively and the boring stages are the better ones because then you can focus on the fighting. And I was like, sure, that's great. This is a free to play game that is going to have a lot of casual players come to it. You just want to have a bit of fun. Like if you want those stages, sure, but at least have something else to to counterbalance that. So stages are boring as dog shit and hopefully they build on that in the future. Um, progression is really slow and you, you have to pay for a whole bunch of stuff and the menus are a bit of a mess, but overall from someone who doesn't play platform brawlers, I really enjoyed it and I will actively go back to play it. If other players do, um, it's something you'll definitely benefit from playing with people, you know, and have voice chat on, um, playing with randoms can get a bit chaotic. Uh, Although you do get those Hail Mary moments where you, you're like level four and you have a level 56 on your team and he just carries you. That's fantastic. Happened to me a few times. Um, but yeah, I gave it an eight. I really enjoyed it. I think you'll probably bounce off it if you're not wanting to come back to it often. It, it, it'll probably kick you in the teeth a bit on the, in the, on the online sense. But if you play it just you and a mate on the couch, I think you'll have an absolute blast. So yeah, 8 out of 10. If you want to read my, my full thoughts, that is also over on the site. Um, but yeah, I've talked more than enough about multiverses. James, you're probably mm. sick of hearing all of our voices, <laughs> and I'd love to hear yours. Tell us about South of the Circle. South of the Circle has been kind of doing my head in a little bit over the past week. Um, it is a, a very minimalist gameplay experience. Um, we are following two timelines in the 1960s. One of them, it, well, they're both from the perspective of uh, this guy named Peter. He's a Cambridge academic. Um, he's... A bit socially awkward, uh, still trying to sort of figure himself out as a young man uh, with the pressures and the sort of, um, you know, tension of the Cold War going on behind him, as well as uh, social movements that are happening at the time. So it's a really interesting setup to all of this. We start with him crash landing in the Antarctic. Uh, he's there to perform research for his paper. And then as he's exploring, uh, well, exploring, trying to survive in the Antarctic, we also flash back to the time when he meets Clara, who is a... A very intense friendship turned romance, uh, quasi semi-political thing happening. And, um, so these guys, uh, they're sort of bonding in, in this very particular time period in the 1960s. Um, your interaction with this as the player is minimal at, at best. Um, it, it's, it's got a very stark art style. So at times it's, it's very beautiful to look at, but all it really requires of you is to push the stick forward or occasionally choose the, uh, inflection that he might use during a conversation, not even necessarily a dialogue choice, just the tone that he's going to adopt for whatever he might say next. Um, these happen without your input anyway. If you just sit there and do nothing, the game will choose an option for you. Um, 
I don't dislike the idea of, of this concept. You know, I, I think minimal interactivity is not inherently a bad thing, um, especially if you're going to try and tell what they've, the developers have described as sort of like a prestige drama in the form of a video game. Like it's a HBO miniseries type situation here. Um, the problem I, I start having with this is that uh, South of the Circle feels very um, self-satisfied, I'd say, with its sort of ruminations on masculinity and Peter's role in Clara's life and the sort of sexism and the dynamics they have to deal with at the time. And so by the time the end of the game rolls around and it's, you know, holding up this grand mirror to you and saying, oh, we should ex examine the role that Peter has played in her life and the choices that, you know, you've made as Peter and how they've impacted other people. I'm kind of sitting there like, yeah, but three hours ago, I understood who this dude was and I, I saw him for what he was. And so having it be a, a not even a revelation, but the, the dramatic thrust of the story um, left me feeling um, you know, a little out in the cold. Old, uh, I guess you could say. Um, so, and look, that's it. It's a three hour thing. There's very minimal gameplay. Uh, I've just sort of described, I think my biggest um, hurdle with it at this point. Um, so there isn't a huge amount left to say on it other than that uh, it has amazing performances though. Like I cannot deny, even if I have issues with the writing, it's exceptionally well performed. Uh, the two lead performances are, and I'm going to butcher this name, so I'm sorry. I think it's Gwimlin Lee and Olivia Vanell. Um, they've been motion captured fully for for this as well. Um, it's it's still a very minimalist art style, but the small mannerisms that they were able to sort of get into this thing uh, work out really well. And so compelling, if a little bit uh, lacking for, for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if me not getting to play as much of this is, is what's bothering me, or if it's just that it's not my kind of story. And that tension is, is my review at the moment. <laughs> It sounds both intriguing and a little boring at the same time. Yes. I think you've, it's, you've piqued my interest. I think with your, your eloquent way of speaking, probably more than the actual game. But I had a, a, a quick look at, uh, I had a quick look at the, the trailer that you popped in the chat. It's pretty. I think I'd be, yeah, I'd be drawn to it mm -hmm. if you hadn't pointed out the flaws to me. So potentially I yeah. might not give it a, as quick a look as I maybe would have. But you well, said it's, it's what, a three-hour runtime? Yeah, exactly. Right? You can smash this okay. out in an afternoon. Uh, it, it's, you know, yeah. it's like sitting down and binging a TV show. Um, it's just, mm. you know, I, I sort of found myself at times being like, if you want me to just watch this story, let me put the controller down fully then. Um, and, and at that point, yeah. we start getting into, well, why is this a video game? Um, and, I, you know, I think one of the great things about video games as a medium is that they can be almost anything they want to be. I, I, I don't begrudge that kind of um, exploration of the genre genre of the medium. Um, but I, I just don't know if this quite works. And a lot of it does come down to, you know, it's very high on itself and it, it's difficult for me to get on that wavelength with it, I think. Fair enough. It is a, yeah, it's a, a topic maybe we'll delve into at some point because that is a very, very good point. Indie if, game with uh, a capital I. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Trip, the old triple I. Um, I don't want to, to force a score out of you, but what sort of score range are we looking at do you reckon i'd say we're looking at anywhere, anywhere between what was that anywhere from one to ten yeah <laughs> nailed it exactly um i i i don't know i could see myself comfortably landing on a seven for this just because i i don't yep. necessarily blame the game for my particular tastes uh and i can you know definitely acknowledge that there's some very well done elements to this it, it is a very compelling if not very inspired story um so i, I guess we'll see
Nice. And I mean, yeah, three hours, it's not exactly plundering your time. No. Uh, And you might have mentioned this, but what what platform did you play it on there, James? uh, I played it on the PlayStation 5. So this originally came out on the iPhone back in 2020, actually. Um, So we're just now finally catching up to to a console release. Um, And it does translate very well to a controller. Well, not actually not to a controller, to a big TV, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Nathan. Hello. I'm back. Ruined my segue. Oh. But anyhow, it was so good. (laughs) Tell us. Tell us more. It was so thin. It was so so thin. (laughs) Tell us. uh, Tell us about Cleo, a pirate's tale. Mate, mate, can I just say that was you? There there was an easy, easy segue there. You could be like, Nathan, would you want to pirate this game? I mean. We don't advocate that no. sort of thing. That's why he'd sure. say no, and then he goes, speaking of piracy, clear a pirate sale. <laughs> right, well, well, when we re-record this entire podcast, yep. just so we can try the segue again, yep. I'll, uh, I'll go again. But Nathan, take us uh, take us away, mate. Well, you know me, I love to eat some booty. So what we've got here tonight is Cleo, <laughs> a pirate's tale. <laughs> That's a segue, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, so Cleo, a pirate's tale is a game that came out uh, last year. Uh, I think it was around December. Now it is getting its Switch release and it should have just come out in time for this podcast. So what this is, is a brief four to five hour point and click game in spirit, but really it's presented as a very much a top down. And I I even uh, went so far as to say this is almost presented as a kind of Game Boy Advance game. The controls are no more than you would expect to find from a Game Boy Advance game. It has very much the kind of color palette that you might might have familiarized yourself with, uh, with a lot of the sort of top-down adventure games of the Game Boy Advance era. Obviously, the big ones that come to mind are something like Minish Cap, so we've got a lot of vibrant greens and blues. It's very pretty in its low-poly art style. Doesn't... Uh, so, to kick this one off, we are in the shoes of Cleo. Cleo's a bit of a daydreamer who is sort of running a seaside pub with her father she's grown up very much on she she loves reading books of the stories of pirates at that time particularly of the legend of uh, or the legendary captain kebaker and so she's uh not one to have set out on the water she doesn't swim in that but anyway there's some unusual series of events that cause her to go and foray out into the ocean so what happens here is she it, it's kind of nonsensical to start with father goes and tells her to go into the kitchen and you know help out around you know, around the pub goes into the kitchen finds a, a dismembered hand in possession of a diary and it, she believes that the diary i think maybe belongs to captain Kebaker or one of the legends of one of his adventures so uh, in releasing the diary she also releasing the hand around the diary also sets free a ghost that turns the kitchen upside down Dad gets real shitty with her, sends her out into the real world. So she's off on a ship that gets hit by a kraken. And of course, because she can't swim, it's very much a surprise that she washes ashore safe and sound. Of course, throughout all of this is this kind of whimsical commentary on uh, pirate fiction of the late 19th century. A lot of pirate puns, a lot of whimsical call outs that you might expect to see. Um, in a in a children's cartoon, I thought. So it doesn't really push much of the envelope in terms of laugh-out-loud comedy, but there is definitely a whimsy that carries this adventure through. When we wash up in the island, on the island is Cleo, 
uh, we then just start kind of directionlessly. We've got the one goal of sort of getting back home. Obviously, it's one of those tales. This is very much an odyssey. So she's sort of going about the first island that she lands on, talking to the inhabitants. We've got like hoteliers, we've got tourists, we've got pirates, a very eclectic crowd on this island. It doesn't really draw too much attention to itself. It's just quite happy to be a little bit absurd, a bit very much cartoony and comical. So what we what then happens is because this, as I said, has a spirit of a point and click game, you'll be going around picking up any sort of items that aren't nailed down. And then as you move around the world, you'll find sort of contextual opportunities for those items to be applied, which will then solve a puzzle. Sometimes there are clues given, other times you're just kind of aimlessly picking up objects and seeing where they might fit. I think this works really well for a puzzle game that doesn't offer any clue systems. Rather, you're relying on a context. You might be sort of near a barrel and that barrel is highlighting the fact that you can interact with it with an object. So you'll be finding an object or an item and then you'll be finding the object that it applies to or the person that it can be used in conversation with. So the game is very good in its visual communication to let you know this is a puzzle area. You're going to find object A and combine it with thing B and then we're going to get a result. So I was pretty happy with that. It's simple enough, but still required me to think outside of the box a few times and it would become obvious, you know, you might try and use all of your items in your inventory and obviously you're not getting anywhere. So, you know, okay, I've missed something. There's an item I need to find somewhere around the island. There's something I haven't interacted with. This is also where the game hits a couple of snags. It does have an issue of pixel hunting. An issue that I mentioned is when you're playing on the Switch, which is already a small screen, I've got the benefit of an OLED, so the colors really pop, but there was instances here, an example I used without spoilers, is I needed to grab a, a worm. Now, said worm is all of, and I think this is not an exaggeration, two pixels in the ground. Now, that's obviously quite a problem when you're on the small screen. Not so bad with the Switch OLED, because as I said, that that the brown of the worm really pops against the green of the rest of the world but this is definitely something that might snag folks that don't have that sort of sharp sense to sort of um, spot what's going on with the pixels. And then uh, also I failed to mention that this is fully voice acted. It's not the best audio quality. I'm not sure if it was an issue with recording because this was a kickstarted game by a solo developer. So I can't assume that they had, you know, the most top of the line studio to do their voice recording in, but all the performances are absolutely, you know, meet the mark. They all commit to the bit. They're having a lot of fun doing all of their whimsical cartoony pirate accents. Uh, they really do deliver that, that impression that this is kind of a cartoon for the youthful spirited adult, because I don't think the humor is going to really grab children. There is a couple of elements that are quite violent, uh, maybe a couple of adult themes, and the jokes are very much if they're not just observational humor of the most low sort of Seinfeld bar, then there's also these sort of meta jokes about Kickstarter fulfillments being late, which, ha ha, you know, that's a reality, or point and click adventures being dead, ha ha, Zach's rolling in his grave. And there's also, um, there's this card game that they've made in it. It's called Crack and Fodder. It's a, I, I always kind of struggle with video games that introduce a card game mini game or a dice game mini game. And this is a card driven dice game. Brilliant example of it, Orlog. You know, that that's a fairly simple dice game. Wrap your head around it pretty simply. 
it gives you a good uh, gives you a good idea of what both sides of the table have in their possession, what moves they can make, and therefore how they might bluff one another. This game gives you somewhat of an impression of what both sides of the table are doing, but the AI is sort of very much operating in its most optimal sense. And I had an issue where on my very second match of this game, which is quite integral to the story, strangely enough, that, you know, obviously the, the developer that has made this mini game was so proud of it, it becomes quite a central focal point of the story in no meaningful way, but it constantly pops up. Second time I was doing this game, um, mini game was mandatory. I lost nine times in a row. I put the game down uh, because the issue was I a, was learning nothing from the losses because there was nothing to learn. It's a very simple game. Uh, and to give you the very quick run of what this game entails, it's basically using a 52 card deck minus cards seven to 10, not included. So cards one to six are cannons. You will load those cannons up with dice and you'll shoot it at the opponent and whoever's dice value is higher is effectively the winner. Not a big deal. Your five dice that you can use are expended as ammunition and you can only reload it with two cards, a king and a jack. A very common issue you can run into very quickly, I'll give you a funny one, is um, just straight off the bat, the first two cards you happen to draw a king and a jack and the opponent wipes them out. Well, for the rest of the game, you've only got five dice to use and you've got to use that five dice to take out every other card in their deck mathematically impossible, not going to happen. You've already lost in the first two turns. Not a whole lot of fun. No worries. Another another time I thought, okay, I'm going to finally win this. It was my fifth match. I had the opponent down to their second last card. I had maybe three or four cards. Their very last card that they had left remaining was a king. Now, why that's important is a king can both use all five dice at once plus reload all five dice. So basically every single round, the enemy on the last card has almost every opportunity to win. And even though I was in the lead by a far mar long margin, big margin, they still beat me. So again, it's just kind of one of these mini games where you're hitting your head against the wall until the game, random number generator finally decides, yep, you can win. Because there's shit all strategy here. You're relying on luck on luck. Adam and I can wax lyrical on this. We're not the biggest fans of dice games that rely entirely on luck, that have a feign veneer of strategy this didn't have it and the reason why i go at length about this is because as i said the game wants to really put this as a front and center thing that constantly pops up that's not quite fair over its four to five hour runtime the game technically only pops up three times and on its third time you can argue and this is kind of a little bit funny you can argue with the player that's wanting you to play it with them you can argue that you don't want to play it and the conversation goes on at length are you sure you want to no are you really sure you want to no the developers could put good energy into this are you sure you want to not no i really don't oh fine fuck it we won't bother great let's get on with it <laughs> so i thought you know i i respect the developer for having a little bit of self-aware humor about that but i really disliked it are the first two so times mandatory the first two times are mandatory. So that second time that I got hung up on five, uh, nine times, I couldn't tell you how many minutes it was. As I said, this is a four-hour game. It felt like a significant portion of the runtime. It felt like it was probably one-sixth of the runtime. Whereas if it was a 10-hour game, I'm probably it probably would have barely registered. But it it it's early enough. This is So this second instance is within the first hour as you're just starting to get to grips with the game. You're just starting to discover the world that's about to be presented before you and the game grinds to a halt. Big shame. After you get past that point, you can then get access to a boat which allows you to explore this small world which is very... I, I think I was quite impressed with the fact that they were able to create this small little world that you can go around by boat to solve the puzzles and the game is very good at sort of 
cleaning out your inventory between chapters and that to make sure that you there's no red herrings something that uh, point and click games can often fall into so all in all this is a really lean little experience it looks phenomenal if you've got that nostalgia for a a really uh, high quality Game Boy Advance art palette. This is there, fully voice acted. Uh, I think one of the things I, I mentioned in my final thoughts is this felt like I was being, as an adult, as a 28 year old person, it kind of transported me back to my glory days of watching ABC roller coaster on an afternoon after school. I thought that was such a highlight. I liked that it was goofy, even though it didn't make me laugh. So I was endeared to it. I gave this one a 7.5 out of 10. Felt like I could have almost inched a bit higher, but there were just enough snags in that four hour runtime to bring me out of it. But I still would recommend it to someone that wanted something light and delectable on a flight, just a short domestic flight. This is a this is easily a game that you want to play in one sitting. And there is actually one other thing I'm going to mention, just one other negative. The game does have a couple of problematic things that pop into it. Two things specifically. One, in the do in the Kraken fodder, the game is constantly giving you those pop-up tutorials even on the 9th, 10th, 11th time you're playing it. Not great. The issue is they're referring always to he and him in the, uh, in the tutorials. Problem, the main character is clearly not a male-identifying character whatsoever. Cleo is, is not that. And then one of the opponents you're also facing is also... Uh, a identifying character. So there's no he, him or his to speak of. So that's just, uh, that's unfortunate. I think it's a German developer. Uh, I know pronouns are supposed to be a big part of the language. So it's a bit of a faux pas. The, the more egregious one is there is a Fu Manchu style character that pops up for 10 minutes in the game for no other reason than to laugh at the fact that this character is clearly depicted as a Fu Manchu. There's no meta joke. There's no overarching satire to it it's just hey this is a funny looking asian stereotype let's have a giggle and move on unfortunate kind of shaves a little bit of a point off because i just thought it didn't have to be there it was cheap humor and it didn't work boom still think it's a pretty good 7.5 but hey at least those things are less prevalent now and they stand out because of it so <laughs> indeed the... indeed it's like a like a like a thor sum yes it <laughs> could well, yeah, it sounds like it's something probably perfect for the Switch. You can bust out. In perfect a, in for the Switch. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. have played this if it was on PC. Being able to play this in bed and sort of just one one lie down session, brilliant. Yeah, it sounds sounds good. If I had a Switch, maybe I'd even swing on by and play it. But speaking of swinging, oh, uh, that's there? a good one. That was that that's was a good, a good one. one. <laughs> As soon as you said, did, if I, I had a Switch... I didn't hear a... As soon as I heard, as if I had a Switch, I was like, he's making a segue. Yep, Here we go. Yep. I, I, li I didn't hear a thing Nathan said. I've been thinking of a segue the whole time. Speaking <laughs> of <laughs> fucking spiders. <laughs> exactly. Spot on. That's not there what we we're here to do. It. It's not uh, what we're here to do. Good, well said. Jordan, you've been playing a cheeky bit of Marvel Spider-Man, but not on a PlayStation. Tell us No, about. I've been playing it on Xbox. Um, <laughs> huge. <Wow. laughs> No, so I've been playing the um, the PC version of Marvel Spider-Man Remastered, so the PC version of the PS5 version of the PS4 game. Um, nice. Uh, I've spent sense. probably around 16 hours with it at this point, so, you know, a, a decent amount of time. Uh, obviously, I'm not here to review the game as a whole. I feel like I'd ruffle some feathers seeing, saying it's a, an aggressively average open-world game, but... But swinging around to Spider-Man is fucking fun. Um, mm, mm, and the story mm. is solid enough 
It's just that the rest of the open world sucks. Um, but yeah, so I've more or less just been looking at uh, how it performs on the PC front. Uh, naturally, the game looks fantastic. Uh, most uh, Sony exclusives do. Um, and I actually spent a good three hours scripting a benchmark for it because it didn't include one. And I have a gripe with this game because of benchmarks, but I'll get to that afterwards. Um, and then all my, all, my, all my data got invalidated because yesterday they put out a new performance patch. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> but I've, I've been spending quite a, quite a bit of time with it. Uh, I actually haven't had the chance to see the new performance patch, so I can't tell you how it runs at the moment. I can tell you how it ran previously, which was pretty solid. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty solid. Um, it swing. The, uh, it, the game Oof. feels really responsive. Uh, Do you feel like you're actually Spider-Man? No, but I'm also not wide enough to be Peter Parker. So mm, yeah, yeah. I'll be closer to Miles Morales, Miles Morales? than Peter yeah, Parker. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, that's probably the better choice at the moment. Oh, yeah. It could be Spider-Man 2099. He's, I think he's, I'm pretty sure he's Latino. I think so. I'm fairly certain. That is, it does not matter. Continue on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the game looks phenomenal. I was so impressed at just, even without everything cranked to the max, how, how good the game looks. And it made me really appreciate how much work Insomniac put into making sure they didn't run like a pile of junk on the original PS4. Uh, and then the extra work they put into making it run nicely on the PS5. Uh, I didn't mess around with ray tracing too much, mainly because I find that ray tracing is a pretty eh kind of thing. I barely notice it when I put it on and it costs way too much in performance to bother. Um, but even then, like the, the normal reflections are super sharp. The lighting is crisp. Uh, I turned motion blur off because if you like motion blur, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, honestly, pretty pretty good PC port. They have um, a lot of the niceties of PC ports. In fact, in the latest update, they added some more options. Uh, previously, in this review period, ray tracing was disabled for AMD GPUs because it was bugged, which is interesting because the consoles use AMD GPUs, but we know that's another thing. Um but seeing that they've implemented stuff like uh, AMD's Fidelity Super Resolution and NVIDIA's DLSS, and even if you don't want to use DLSS, they have their deep learning anti-aliasing instead that you can use as well. Uh, there's just a lot of niceties that have been put into this game, more than I expected. Uh, and yeah, overall, fairly solid port. Can't comment about the performance because I haven't tried the new patch and it apparently makes a big change. But they've, uh, at least, you know, in terms of making sure the back end of it is pretty good for the users, it's really good. It's flexible. Uh, it supports various display resolutions. So uh, 16 by 9, 21 by 9, even the ludicrous 32 by 9. Even going further than that, if you're on a triple monitor setup, it's really cool. They've obviously put in a lot of care and effort into it. Still wouldn't say it's worth $95. It, yeah, their revised price from previously $110. But... That's a discussion for when Zach's here, so we can talk about that in The Last of Us Part 1 remake. Um, yeah, I, d I don't want to <laughs> open the perennial can of worms, but what sort of price range? Just just give us the the price I, bracket I, that you would be looking at. I think at. their previous pricing of their ports to PC has been pretty fair, $75. Uh, 
You know, it's still yeah. a premium price, but not so high that you're like, I can get in this day one because it's a day one release where it's like, well, no, it's like four years old. Yeah, so, it kind yeah. of feels like they're, they're testing the waters a little bit because they know yeah. some people will. Yeah. And good enough, you know, if, if that's you, brilliant. You know, this is obviously an experience that you'd probably be keen to get around. But Jordan, did you get a chance to try the DualSense? No, so I was just about to because I finally okay. got a replacement DualSense because I'm sure uh, some of you boys would know. Nice. My previous one went cactus. Right, I didn't, um, Sorry. Uh, but the interesting thing with that is, A, it's Sony going back on their word saying they're not going to bring their haptic stuff to PC. Uh? Um, and it's also um, interesting that it has to be done via USB. Yeah, it's you not can't wireless. Do it wirelessly. Mm. Yeah. Oh. You have to have the controller plugged in, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, but I, I will get around to testing that. I just you know haven't been able to because I need a functional DualSense for that. Do you score this review? I haven't finished writing it yet because I haven't been able to get the new benchmarks done yet. But it, but it is destined for a score, is that? It is, is that destined for a score. Okay. If it was purely based off of how it handled before this latest update, I'd say about an eight. Not as good as Outriders, but you know it's it's close. Uh, still still a really solid PC port. If the performance improves in the way that the patch notes they sent me uh, claim it does. Then probably probably on board with Outriders, maybe even a nine if it's that much better. Very generous. Yeah, nice. Well, we'll have to uh, stay tuned for that one and jump on the site once your review's up to find out the final thoughts. But uh, yeah, I mean the game's fantastic, so I'm glad that those in the PC camp will be able to uh, finally play it. It does uh, make I, me excited I, to play. Oh, he did it! Wireless. He did it! It did, did speaking, do of, speaking of camps. I, 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 I was waiting for you to say camp in some way or form. I was like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> I Again, almost missed it. I, I, I got you. you got it. Uh, Mark, yeah. you have been around some early access of Camp Canyon. Yeah. Let us know what it's about. Uh, it's by the studio that it did We Need to Go Deeper, uh, which is that submarine, weird-looking visual sort of aspect game. And it's kind of the same concept. It's very dark um, to a point, but also got that comical visual flair to it. Essentially, it's you get a, a new job as a camp counselor and you have to rebuild the camp from scratch. You have to spend time with the, the kids every couple of days and make sure you get as high a star rating with them to get the most money out of them to then be able to put back into the camp. Uh, all the while, weird shit's happening in and around it. Uh, and there's some darker sort of story elements to it. It is very early access, so there's a lot of stuff that they're still going to be adding as they go. Uh, no controller support was kind of a bummer to begin with, but that's okay. I can forgive that. Um, I kind of like what I've played with it so far. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it expands over time, uh, especially on the story front. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that they can really sort of delve into some weird, uh, enjoyable shit with that. Um, and it's pretty easy to play. Like it, even at early access level, with just a keyboard mouse, it's pretty easy to get to get the hang of, and you can spend a lot of time with it as well. So, yeah, so far so good with that one. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it goes uh, in the future. Question? Yeah. So, having a quick look at your uh, 
couple of screenshots there. Yeah. So if I didn't know any better, I'd say this kind of maybe looks like a top-down survival game. Like, what's the core gameplay loop here? Like, what, what would you be doing in the average day of Camp Canyonwood? I think it's a bit more isometric. Yeah. Kind of isometric. But yeah, essentially, day-to-day, you, Sorry, yeah. you, are, you are leading these kids around for the most part. So you'll get... At the very start, you uh, you get as a counselor the uh, the job of making sure the camp's ready to open. You get first group of kids, just the four kids, and you essentially lead them around, or you can let them go off on their own and do their own thing. And the idea is to make sure that by the end of their time at the camp, they have the most badges as scouts would get for uh, you know cutting down trees, finding bugs, fishing, and you can lead them down those paths, but they all have specific likes and dislikes that will kind of determine how well that'll go. So if you try and teach a kid to cut down a tree and the dislikes going near wood for some weird reason, uh, it won't do it and you'll get a lower rating and that will ruin your result. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a mix of that and sort of balancing the, the looking after the kids and then once the kids are gone, that cycle is done and then the story continues from there about how the weird shit's happening around the camp and then it's just expanding the camp itself so building new buildings getting upgrades from all the other councillors that are in the area so um i think it balances relatively well even at this early stage but yeah it is still a little rough around the edges but i can again i can forgive it for that it is early access for a reason yeah, nice. It, does it leave you wanting to play more? Will you be keen to, to jump into it? Yeah, for I definitely us? want to play more of it. I definitely want to see where the story goes. Uh, and hopefully they can really add yeah. to the, the weird sort of vibes that you can kind of get hints of early in, in the story of, of what's there already. But I feel like they could definitely do more with that. So hopefully they do. Nice. And uh, your early access impressions are up on the site now. So if anyone wants to jump over and read Mark's full thoughts, you can do so over on the site. It uh, it definitely looks cool, but it's a it's a fair way from the kind of games that that I usually play. But speaking of fair ways, I have been playing a game that I that I am a bit into, which is Turbo Golf Racing. Ooh. I've jumped into the the early access. I have it was a fucking stretch. For that <laughs> I was racking. Oh, we know. Racking my brain. <laughs> Round of applause to you, listener. I'm looking forward to your last <laughs> segue. I'll put it that way. I'm struggling. Um. But yeah, Turbo Golf Racing, if you want to be super reductive and kind of accurate, let's be real, is more or less Rocket League. But instead of golf, uh, wait, fuck, I've buried, I have <laughs> Instead of golf, you play soccer. Instead of soccer, soccer it's Football. golf. Football. <laughs> fuck me running. Um, so yeah, you're all in bulky little cars. Um, you're racing through a, one of 30 different courses and you're, you're blasting your golf ball towards the hole. First person to sink their ball in the hole is the winner of that course. Very... Very simple concept, very Rocket League. Uh, you've got a jump, you've got a dash, you've got a boost, a flip, and you can glide. So gliding's new, that's fun. Um, but yeah, there are 30 different courses split across three different biomes. Um, unless you were actually told they were different biomes, you wouldn't know because they all look very, very similar. Um, but the courses are well put together. They very well guide you towards the hole. Um, they're all, they have lots of ramps and lots of little... Um, these little floating circles that kind of launch your ball in the right direction if you manage to hit them in the, the correct way. Um, so they're, they flow well, but they're all very, very similar. So I'm hoping full release, there might be a bit of variation to them eventually. 
Um, there's it's eight player, but you can't mess with each other's bowls. Uh, they're all just kind of ghost. What's the balls, point of playing with your friends if you can't mess with their balls? Uh, it's a missed yeah, opportunity. Well, you, you can in. You can mess with the cars in certain ways. There are little pickups like um, missiles and shields and kind of Mario Kart-esque sort of things. So there's little ways that you can kind of mess with people to to get an advantage, but there's not a huge way to, to grief people, I think, is the main thing because you'll definitely get those assholes that just piff your ball into the out-of-bounds zone and just do that instead of playing the game. Um, so that was refreshing. You can kind of just play your own game and not worry about it too much. Um, where it kind of gets a little bit dicey is with cores, which are more or less permanent power-ups that you unlock and can lock onto your car, which there's passive and powers. So the, the powers can be like, uh, when you activate it, the ball magnetizes to you. So you can like drag it to your position, which I kind of just sat on the hole and then use the magnet to pull it in. It sounds similar to like the, uh, what are Rocket League labs or whatever? Yeah. Yes. But instead of it being randomized, you can choose exactly what you use. So I feel like that could get unbalanced super, super fast. Um, but hopefully the, the devs are just really on top of it. So I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, there is a single player. It's super basic. It's just time attack. Uh, and there's like stars involved. So if you get it within 30 seconds, three stars, a minute, blah, 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 blah. There's, it's very bare bones and a lot of the unlocks are tied to that single player as well, which is a little bit rough. Um, so hopefully they expand on that as well, but there's a good foundation here. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty basic game in all in all, and I'm not ready to drop one of my other party games to, to kind of fill in with this one. Um, but it's fun. So I'm, I'm keen to see where they, where they go from here. I think the devs have said it's going to spend at least 12 months in early access, uh, which in this circumstance, I think is probably an okay thing. Um, and they can just kind of build a small community who push forward new ideas and they can expand on it in the long run. So yeah, it's, it's decent and I'm, I'm keen to see where it goes. Um, I definitely haven't built like a winning strategy as to how to win matches, but, um, Nathan, you probably know a little bit more about strategy and strategy games. You've been playing the Deerfield Chronicles a preview could you uh, I'll give you I would have loved so much like, like it's not a strategy I, look I didn't all he had to go off of here was the Dio Field Chronicles no context he pulled strategy out I consider that pretty, pretty admirable <laughs> uh, yeah I'm pretty happy with it but yeah I, I, tell I us I almost uh, gave you a segue as well I was just about to interrupt with a segue for you mm, no I had one too I take my hat off there oh oh everyone but me well done guys <laughs> look the Dio Field Chronicles, uh, this this game, right from its announcement, was kind of surprising. Now, this was kind of a, a bit of a Hennessy game. This was something that quite excited me when I first saw it because I'm very big on, like, my, my comfort food genre in a game I hold in highest, or rather, a genre I hold in highest regard is, like, tactical RPGs. Uh, games like Final Fantasy Tactics, your Fire Emblems, Triangle Strategies, a more recent example. So this has come out of Square Enix. It was announced back in March and the Nintendo Switch Direct. And when we first saw this, it was very, you know, it was in, in, the, in the last Unreal Engine or Unreal 4 engine. It looked real sexy, 3D engine. It definitely looked something a bit more than what the Switch would normally be capable of. But I uh, remember first impression I thought, is this a remade like Final Fantasy Tactics? Because that's kind of what I first thought. 
and KV weighed in and he thought, uh, at the same time, he thought it was um, some kind of upskinned for latest consoles, uh, like a take on triangle strategy, just sort of sexing up the graphics for, for the PS5, uh, Xbox One, X, uh, Xbox Series X, but it was on the Nintendo Switch. So we skip forward. This isn't a, strictly speaking, this isn't a tactical RPG at all. This is actually more of a real-time strategy flavor of, again, kind of tactical RPG. It's a weird mesh, this one. The Dio Field Chronicle is pulling from many different, uh, many of its contemporaries, and I'll go into that in a moment. But the biggest one for about one, maybe two listeners that this would be relevant to is this is very much in the style of Valkyria Chronicles from Sega. So like that game, you will effectively be, the game sort of is taking place in a kind of real time motion as things are moving forwards, but you can constantly sort of toggle this pause, but the game does it for you in Valkyria Chronicles. Over here, the same thing is happening. So when you go, you'll be going into these um, top-down battles in these sort of small towns, villages, countrysides, quite confined. They're often on raised plateaus uh, to give you this sort of almost like a tabletop experience. Your party will be comprised of four characters. Uh, they're usually fulfilling pretty standard archetypes of like knight, assassin, rogue, healer, ranged archer and you'll be maneuvering that party of four through the battlefield cleaning up uh, bandits typically from the demo uh, until you've wiped them all out and you've succeeded in victory so this is all playing out in real time there's no turn order to any of this one of the things that you would normally struggle with on a console will be real-time strategy games and it's still a little bit fiddly here it can be a bit tricky constantly trying to flick between your four units. It's it's not elegant. Uh, I don't know how the game figures out which character you're trying to select because the cursor is always doing different things to what the game is thinking that you're doing. Uh, so you can switch between your characters with L1 and R1, but it's always a bit of a gamble as to which character is going to be selected first when you press one of those buttons. Um, when you select a character and then you're going to move said character, you can plot out sort of a, a up to three moves for them. So it might be like three movements in a kind of, maybe it's sort of skirting around an enemy's perimeter. So you might give them three coordinates to go to in a succession or two coordinates and then an attack. And so you'll be constantly going into this toggled pause time state to constantly um, rejig where your characters are positioned because one thing that you'll find is that your characters are rather squishy and you can only get two potions for your entire party and there's not much in the way of heals. So combat's quite challenging and you don't want to be taking many risks. You can't rely on a healer to do all the healing because magic pool's also very limited and again, there's not much in the way of being able to top it up. So this game also has a kind of resource management built into it that you're not very aware of. The game doesn't usually telegraph to you how many enemies you're going to be fighting in a battle because they'll constantly just be popping up by surprise. So one of the risks here is that you blow your load early, you use your potions, you use your heals and everything real early on in the fight, you've got nothing left and you lose. So early on in the game, what you'll be doing is you've got your party of three initially and our three characters here, I just want to read out their names because this is something that persists throughout the game and it's utter bullshit is the game's character names. So we start off with 
and I'm going to try my best here because this is this is supposed to be in the spirit of medieval British fantasy, but these characters are bizarre. We've got Frederick Lester, the Mounted Knight. We've got Andreas Rondarsen, the assassin. Like they're just combining parts of names all over the place. Uh, we've got Isolair Wigan, uh, and that that's our first three, and they just get more unhinged from there. There's nothing... I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know my sort of historical name etymology when it comes to the Brits, but I'm pretty sure that this is a bit of a reach uh, by, by any measure. And the game does its best to try and pronounce it as well. There's an English dub here. It works for the most part during cutscenes. But one of the issues I had is between battles, you've got this kind of base that you can navigate like in Fire Emblem Three Houses. And in fact, this is something that they've taken directly from that as well as the plot. The plot's you're in, you're in Dio Field. It's an isolated island nation. There's two warring states on the mainland that are having it off and you're just on the periphery. And that's about as much plot as, as, as is given to you. The characters aren't given any meaning to you. They're just the names with some annoying traits. There's no character development. You don't know the histories. You don't know why they are there, who they are. Um, you just know that there's all these monarchs fighting off on the mainland, but again, you don't know who they are. You don't know why you should care. The game tells you their names. You're not going to remember their names. You don't even remember the names I just told you three minutes ago. So this game has a bit of a bit of a fumble when it comes to its plot and story, of which there is a fair bit. You're probably going to skip over it, which is going to leave a sour taste in the mouths of some. But as I just mentioned, I want to quickly go back to the Fire Emblem Three Houses thing. So you've got this sort of main HQ base that you can wander around in the demo. It's empty. There's almost no furniture in it. There's like six NPCs you can talk to. They'll all give you like one line and they won't even voice that line. They just do the simple thing of, ah, hmm, yes, indeed. <laughs> Very good. Intriguing. We should look at that. How odd. And that just fucking irritates because even the main characters will be doing that as well. They'll have like a full line of dialogue that will be like, we need to see the heiress through. She needs to make it to her destination safe. So we've got to fight off all the bandits. But the actual voice line you'll get will be, ha ha ha, indeed. And you just, getting that like 16 times in a row is, is infuriating. There is a Japanese voice dub here. I haven't given it a listen. The English voice dub is, is fine. Like they're all doing that sort of exaggerated brick thing that's sort of reserved and pompous. You've, you've heard it in every other Japanese RPG that's tried it. So you'll either care for it or you won't. Um, bit throwaway. So this is a very mixed game. The demo itself is going to give you up to five hours worth of content. It's the first chapter of the game, pretty much unabridged. Uh, there's nothing sort of hidden. A lot of the game you're going to unlock as you go anyway. So in that first chapter, you're sort of it is quite bare bones. You're giving a bit of an impression of how the character building works. I'm not a fan of the character building early on because uh, character building points, like your skill points, and that will only be allocated to you based on your performance in battles. And one of the most important ways to level up your characters with really important stats is to not let any of them fall during battle. And it's very easy for them to fall during battle because, as I said, you don't know what to expect. Fights turn on a knife's edge very quickly. Enemies have a lot of HP and battles are slow. So you'll have an enemy just fall. You won't even expect it because you've just your eyes have glazed over because they're just hitting one another very slowly back and forth. When that, when that unit falls, you've just missed out on a skill point that you need at the end of that fight to make yourself more competitive in the next one. So all in all, it's a really mixed bag. I think some people are going to fucking hate this game. Other people like me are going to be quite keen because it's a new... Square Enix strategy RPG franchise. I'll take many more of those, please. 
But as I said, story here is completely lackluster. Characters, absolutely forgettable. Combat has an issue. And one last thing I'm going to mention about the combat because we need to move on is... So obviously I mentioned you can navigate your characters around on the maps and you can reposition them all like it's a real-time strategy game. But your archers have a cone of vision, like a cone. Um, your ranged characters have a cone that you will need to position over enemies for them to start attacking said enemies. Enemies will group up together and just sort of all rush at you at once without sort of any real strategy. Any, they won't flank or anything. They'll just come at you as an onslaught. And then you want to sort of take out maybe the weaker enemies, maybe the ranged enemies and you know, that, that's an effective strategy. The issue here is you don't get to choose who your ranged characters attack. You just get to choose the general area they're attacking. And you also have no way of refining where that area is. You kind of just point in a direction and hope they face that way. And the issue I kept running into is they'll run into a fight. They'll have the direction to face. They'll turn around 180 degrees. They'll be in the center of the fight. The fight's happening all around them. They're facing the wrong direction. They don't engage because they only engage what's standing in directly in front of them. So they don't turn around 180 degrees on their own to fight the enemy that's literally within a foot of them. That fucking sucks. So anyway, that's not going to be fixed on release. That's the kind of game we're looking forward to. It's an $85 game. I Oof. think there's probably some other games you might want to pick up for that $85 this month. Uh, in September. That? That's the price on the PSN store. I don't know what the price is elsewhere. It doesn't have the Square Enix quality for an $85 game, not compared to what we see from them otherwise. I'll be happy to play it, but I won't be paying for it. So that's a tricky one, that one. And the demo yeah, releases August 10. So if you're listening to this, it's up. I would recommend playing that before you buy the game because that's giving you a very genuine impression of what's yeah. what you're in store for uh, 89.95 on steam as well Woo! no that's a tough sell that's really going to bring some scores down i think if, if you're the kind of person that rates a game or abuse a game with price in mind that's a real hard sell i think it's one of the one of those games that it's it's uh it definitely needs a demo because people probably need to get a, a good idea of what they're they're buying prior to committing to that purchase. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good thing that it does have a Because KV and I, we saw that trailer. We had no idea what, what this was. It looked good. Yeah. It, playing, it's a bit of a different beast. Oof. Well, I mean, we can only hope that the, the full release will tickle your pickle a little bit more, but One can hope. we'll just have to wait and see. But, uh... Jeez, it's, yeah, it's a good thing August doesn't have many games because those are <laughs> between previews and reviews. 10 things that we just... Bit, bit of a dry month, Lord. old August. 10 things it? you can do this oh, month. Mate. This week. <laughs> but hey, other than releases and previews, there's been a little bit going on this week. So we'll cut over to the news desk. Mark, let us know what's been happening in the world of... I will do I one better Sean than that. impression this evening. I'll, I'll do you one better than that. I'll give you the news. Um, what's it... <laughs> Quickfire, what's a, uh, a news update without some delays, guys? Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns has been delayed officially till March 2023. However, that's only the PS5 Series X version. Uh, Xbox One, PS4, and Switch indefinitely delayed the no release date. So that's fun. We don't even have a firm release date before March, do we? It's just no. it will be out before no. March. At, at the latest, It'll they say, the March 2023. Year. So. Uh, well. Expect another delay, likely. Uh, speaking of delays, Multiverses, which you talked about earlier, season one of that has been delayed indefinitely as well. That was supposed to include Morty as part of 
uh, that pack, so uh, no date on that either. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. Un- unfortunate, but luckily the, the open beta is is still kicking on. So, And I mean, the game's going to be free to play, so it's it's feature complete for, for all the features that you care about right now. So still jump in. Absolutely. Uh, and Gloomwood's early access has been pushed from August 16th to September 6th. It's a little while longer to wait for that one. Uh, as of announcements, AEW Fight Forever has been officially revealed, uh, cover art, etc. Uh, being published, of course, by THQ Nordic. They got that confirmation this week. Uh, who are holding a, a live stream around the time of this podcast going out, I think. Sometime on Friday. Yeah, just uh, So we'll get some in-game yep. footage. Uh, hopefully a proper release date for the game as well. Uh, speaking of presentations, last week we had Pokemon Presents, which went through a whole bunch of stuff that no one cares about. And some more info <laughs> on Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> Apparently now there's a dog made of dough and the legendaries are both bikes. Whatever. Um, this, this frustrates me. What's the point of legendaries if they're with you from the beginning? I, yeah, I'm curious to see how that works out with the story. I so. won't comment, but I feel differently on that. Yeah, I'm it one of the. I'm a detractor. Look, it's something new. Like they clearly haven't run out of ideas yeah. as yet. So you know, you, you give them that. that. Nintendo's got a fascination with bikes. First, yeah. they fucking randomly hamfisted it Breath into. Of the wild. Zelda. Yep. Oh, Breath of the Wild, yeah. yeah. Oh, I and forgot about that. Like, you know what? Fuck it. Living bike, let's uh, go. Their, their so, next yeah. console is just going to be a bike. And Kirby was put on top of a VW Beetle. <laughs> so, you know, Woo-hoo! vehicles. That's true. What are the... What is it? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can get a full get recap on uh, on that stream uh, on our website, including all the other information on some of the mobile Pokemon games. Apparently Mewtwo has a stomachache. Whatever. Um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Splatoon 3 is also getting a 10 direct August 10 at 10pm yeah. which is now old news because if you listen to this podcast that already happened uh, and hopefully some really good news out of that I'm very keen on I'm that a, game I'm a kid now and I'm a squid now exactly uh, and what <laughs> other game I'm very very excited about uh, we are OFK's first two episodes drop officially on August 18th uh, the other episodes dropping uh, a little bit after that kind of like Life is Strange so a little bit at a time uh, very look I think it's weekly. I think, I think it is weekly for the next th- three or yeah. four weeks, which is cool. very, very exciting. It that. was episodic. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't paying attention. And drop, I'll drop two more news pieces for you and then we'll go. Uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn has finally been confirmed by Square Enix after a whole bunch of leaks. That's coming out in November. Uh, hopefully it's not eighty nine ninety five. Uh, <laughs> and Sonic the movie number three. Yes, we're getting a third Sonic movie. That's coming out December next year. And uh, I don't know. Shadow the Hedgehog, anyone? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and the, uh, they've been good. They've been great enough. so far. Great. Yeah, good. They've been all right. Good. They've been all right. Apart from the That's whole wedding scene sure. in the second film. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched but it. There's, there's always one or two scenes in those films. I hated the the saloon scene in the first one. But I'd forgive you. Oh, I loved that bit. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so there's some people. But the wedding was sucked. The wedding was terrible. Um, is this a segue moment? Because can I segue into something that Nathan might be interested in? Of course you can, Because Mark. speaking of movies, segue, Nathan, uh, have you got a 90s film of the week? <laughs> I just saw this. No. no oh, and you know what? It. Before the podcast, when I realised that Zach wasn't going to be here to tell us what else he's just flicked to in his disc wallet of his 90s DVDs, because <laughs> I still can't get over that he's got them all in a disc wallet in 2022. <laughs> Nothing against a disc wallet, but he thinks it's economical to throw away the boxes. 
Foolish. Yeah. Anyway, no. So what I will do is I'll plug what I've been watching lately, which has its origins in the 90s. So I've been watching, I'm still watching One Piece. So April and I have made it up to episode, or oh, where are we now? 728. Jesus. We're getting about halfway. halfway. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no spoilers, please, because I'm about 728 episodes behind you. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that because you'll be pleased to know that the anime is there's a lot of it on netflix now they've been adding like a couple of seasons every month surprisingly yeah. it's now i think they have maybe the first 400 or so on there um i if you were to ever watch it i have to say you you are best looking up there are guides on the internet to just tell you look hey there's 20 episodes here to skip not everyone's going to want to do that because that's a chore but unfortunately it is recommended and that's the only way i've sort of stuck with it there are points where it drops where they sort of deviate from the core material but it started in the 90s, it's hold, held up really well, and when it ends, regardless of the fact that it's an anime, regardless of the fact that some people have the assumption that it looks like it's for kids when it really, really isn't, this is going to be, from a prestige standpoint, one of the greatest forms of long-form storytelling that has been out, because 728 episodes in it's still faithful to events that have happened 700 episodes ago, or in real terms... 20 years ago. You're like, saying this is... it's better than the Walking Dead series? No way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't, don't, don't open that. Which one? Like oh, we've already done that. We've already had that conversation. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, uh, movie, not movie of the week, anime slash Netflix of the week is One Piece for, for the no people that really give a fuck. Except Zach is going to be... He's going to be so flaming. You've replaced I 90s know. for the week with a fucking cartoon. <laughs> Kids, it's for children. If I want to watch something for children, I'll buy a Nintendo console. <laughs> Go play your Switch, you nerd. This is where I say I've got that uh, free Is anyone... There's a movie that we should have all watched, but I won't mention it yet because I know someone will. Yeah, what else have, uh, what else have we all it, been is watching? Is that Prey? Is that what you're going to say? Prey? Prey. Oh, he's I done actually, it. He's straight into it. I haven't it. watched it yet. I'm waiting to watch it. For well, no, because I, I actually want to talk about Lightyear. Um, because everyone's talked about Prey and I want to talk about Lightyear because everyone skipped over it. It's a, this is your moment. This It's a spin-off from Toy Story, if you don't already know. Apparently, it, the story goes that it's the movie that Buzz Lightyear is based off of that the kid was interested in. How that works, because oh, this sense. movie's got better CGI than anything that came out in the 90s. God already knows. Um, <laughs> no, it's it just came out on <laughs> Disney Plus the same week as Prey, so I think it got overlooked even on that point as well. But it's fantastic. It's arguably the best Star Wars film that's come out in the last 10 years. It's it's actually pretty good. It's very funny. Uh, uh, did, did you did you, know, did you say Star Wars? D- d- no, Star Trek, clearly. Battlestar uh, <laughs> Galactica. I'm trying really. Because I, I saw James's face. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping back. <laughs> and neck like twisted around. <laughs> it is, it is. I'm trying really hard to think of a way to say fuck you, Mark, but it's really hard. No, fuck you, Mark. Solo's great. <laughs> What? Says Rogue One. Fuck you. Rogue One, I'll okay, give I'll you. Solo, absolutely yeah, not. Absolutely. And then even then, I know James is sound. Uh, Rogue uh, One is not great. You know what? We can't get into this. It's no, don't get into it. This is another is podcast also, we haven't got time for. This is the last two. Uh, no. Skywalker's the best one. No. Who's got time? Shut up. <laughs> no, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Taika Waititi is also in it. And he plays a really good performance, even though it's a little short. Um... I think it does drag a little bit in the middle portion of the story, but it's got good themes. Mm. I think kids will love it. I think adults will love it. There's some nice sort of in-references to, to Buzz and, and Toy Story itself. It kind of stands alone on its own, though. You don't really need to watch any of the Toy Story films to really enjoy it. 
Um, no, good. Uh, yeah. How, how long does it run, do you know? I think it's just over an hour, hour and a half. It's okay, I can not, it's that. not I was too worried long. it was going to be an, two an, hours an hour plus. An hour 40. Was an hour 40. Off, yeah. There you go. It doesn't feel like okay. it drags on in that sense. Like, I didn't even... Yep. I never felt like it, it felt like that at all. But yeah, definitely uh, definitely give it a shot because I think the, the not... box office performance of it was probably one of the worst since Cars 3, which is weird Oof. because I thought Lightyear would have done a lot better than that, but apparently it didn't. Uh, but I think it deserves so, so more attention. I, I actually watched it in the cinemas and you're not mentioning the best part. Isn't Socks. It? Yeah, the cat. Oh my it's God. Yeah. Socks is such a great character. It's such a funny character. It's yeah. Kiki Palmer, isn't it? Is that? I, didn't I read somewhere that the I don't the know who the voice was Kiki Palmer, or am I making that up? Because that would be embarrassing. Someone looked that up. I'm not 100 sure. I really like Kiki Palmer, so when I saw that, I was like, okay. Cool. If it is, it's know. a very, very funny no, performance. It's it's it's, it's the best character in the show. It's not. By far. It's not. Okay, also then not. that's very embarrassing. Then whoever the no, voice actor is did a really do good performance, and it's the best character in the show by far. I don't know where <laughs> I read that, so I've yeah really put my foot in it. <laughs> Moving on. Well, enough of this. <laughs> Bullshit for kids. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, my bad. Who here, raise of uh, raise of hands, has watched Prey? So for all the viewers, that's one, two, three. That's I. Uh, that's I actually, Mark, you I haven't... actually watched Lightyear instead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, I, will oh, no, I will get to it. I will get to it. Nah, fair I'll enough. <laughs> fair enough. Nathan, mm. give me a give me a quick rundown thoughts um, about how it's the best Prey, uh, best Predator movie since the original. <laughs> Everyone's saying that, and I'm going to throw my hat in and say, I enjoyed it more than the original. Ooh. Oh, All right. Nah, fair. Fair shout. Pitch me as to and why. I was so impressed. It's a beautiful film. It shouldn't... When you think of a Predator film and you're thinking action, horror, action thriller type of film, you're not thinking a goddamn sexy trek through, you know, um, sort of Native American wilderness, but it's beautiful. And then the action yeah. scenes, bloody kick. It'll have your heart pumping. April's watching it with me. She's not much into that kind of film. She's like hooting and hollering. You know, it's almost like watching a sport. You're sort of getting into it. And it's a, yeah, it's a real, it's a crowd pleaser, man. And the whole crowd was just us two on the couch. I hate to be one person there just sitting by myself. I'd want a crowd around me. (laughs) Yeah, it it kicks all kinds of us. It is, it is really, I think it's the nostalgia talking when I say that it, it can't be better than the original, but it is, <laughs> it is really fun. Like, hey, you're you're dead right. It is gorgeous. Like the the scenery in that movie is fantastic, um, and some of the scenes are j- like that. The action scenes are fantastic. There's one in particular, without spoiling anything, where the predator just goes on an absolute rampage, and it is, it is so much fun. Like he's using using all his gadgets in very creative ways let's say and it's yeah it is it's a bit of a blast and it it blew my expectations out of the water but james you're you're quiet over there tell us tell us what you think no, i just <laughs> i i agree i loved it um it, you oh. know kicks all kinds of ass um i think the predator redesign is fantastic um i didn't realize yeah, they were yeah. gonna go with a new face for him and a new helmet and everything loved all of that um like you said it's beautiful to look at um i kind of like the way it flips the expectations of the franchise being like this hyper military hyper masculine very like technology forward franchise and just strips air all of that away and says now all you really need is like a pretty forest a compelling protagonist and you've got a you got your movie um really really good shit and a great dog just a great dog oh yeah very good dog such a good boy Mm -hmm. 
Apparently it wasn't a, like a trained acting dog. Like it was a, a rescue I, I read somewhere. Is this really? a random dog that walked on set? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah which I think might have been why some of the animals were CGI, just because there were some limitations of using a dog that's not traditionally trained for that right. environment. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, hopefully he gets more roles going forward. Yeah. She? He's fresh on the I scene. think it was a she? female. She? Oh. I'm so sorry. But yeah, but a dog. fantastic, very, yeah. Very so, uh, we'll get Brilliant a supporting actor, right? We'll get a great dog and soft yeah, CGI sure. spin-off in the future then. We can only <laughs> hope. God, uh, I'm going to hate myself for that stuff up. But anyway, go on. It's good, it's good. But I, uh, I tell you what, we've, we've talked movies, we've talked a shitload of games. What do you reckon we, uh, we bounce out of here Oh, first? thank God. I mean, oh yeah, okay. All right, cool. <laughs> Before we go, James, when are you and I going to hijack th- a podcast episode to talk about Bloodborne? I mean, I'm ready right now. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'm, I'm out. always ready for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not not uh, enough Bloodborne appreciation on here. No, no, you are a, you are walking Bloodborne appreciation. I am. Come on, if you get a Bloodborne episode, I'm getting an entire episode dedicated to Kirby. I'm putting it out there. It'll have to be that, like that a, a best of well played episode. It will obviously make an appearance. Yep. Hint, hint. Wink, obviously. Wink. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, we'll uh, we'll we'll pitch it to the boss. It'll go as far. It'll go as far as that. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this is our pitch a- to the boss. If he doesn't hear it, then. Yeah, that's, that's his problem. So, so the typical yeah. Zach Outro is, oh, fucking thanks if you're still hanging around. Uh, the, the two or three of loyal listeners really appreciate it. Shout out to the the hater of ice cream in mugs. I refuse to give him a <laughs> shout out. He knows who he is. What's what's the likelihood he's spending tonight? Uh, just microwaving milk. <laughs> but for everyone else, thank you for sticking with us. Absolute monster of an episode. If you want to check out any of the content that we have spoken about. Jump on over to well-played.com.au. Give all our articles a read. There's uh, a lot of great stuff on there at the moment and plenty more to come. Until next week, though, when hopefully uh, Milkmaster has risen from his shallow grave. We'll, uh, we'll see you then. No, no, no. It was the Master Milker, wasn't it? I remember hearing a Milker. End the show. End the show now. Please, dear God, end the show. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Bye now. Bye.